Morning Liberty. Well, what is going on, all of our Liberty-loving friends? Welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. I'm one of the hosts here, Charles Chuck Thompson. With me, as always, the one who knows just about everything there is to know. He even has a Dundee trophy mm-hmm. sitting behind him. It's a fine work award for all, for all of my fine work. For his finest, for his finest. Yeah. That's what you get every single day on this show, Mr. Nathaniel Paul Thurston. What's going on today, man? Living the dream. Yeah. Today. We Learning did. all kinds of new things. Every, every day is a learning day. How's that PIRS trade going right now? I have no idea. I logged out because it's you don't time. You want to see it. It's time to focus. You're just going to let it squeeze. We focus mm-hmm. in on liberty for a minute. That's right. Okay. As I said, this is a Good Morning Liberty podcast. We talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning and how much Nathaniel Paul Thurston knows, <laughs> which is uh, quite a bit, but not everything. So uh, cut it out, man. There's Just, things to learn every all right, day. All right. Keep, okay? go, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, you just make the whole show about you. Let's just talk about Let's, how much I know the whole time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you like what you hear, which I'm sure you will, uh, once we get past all this hoopla at the beginning, <laughs> then you'll want to hit that subscribe button. Don't be part of the horror percent. Okay. Don't do it. Those lowly horror percenters. This, this podcast has a 96% subscription rate, which means Y'all have been smashing that subscribe button, which we love so much, or follow on Spotify. Well, look, we don't get Spotify numbers on the, <laughs> the follows. We do get the Apple numbers. Thanks, Apple. Uh, so 96% on Apple. I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty darn good. That's not too bad. It'll never be 100%, though, no, because some people didn't do it. Yeah, And so exactly. now it's not possible, but let's like go and crank it people, up some. Those few people leaving those one-star reviews mm-hmm. obviously don't know what's good for them. <laughs> Clearly. They don't. Yeah. Just idiots is what I would call them. They don't know what they're talking about. So let your bygones be bygones. Okay. Bygone. We got several stories in the stack today. A couple of them fast, a couple of them in detail. The first thing we're going to talk about is tariffs and free trade. We haven't talked about tariffs and free trade here for a little while. Hmm. So we got we to gotta mention this real quick. Okay. China. This is from Reason. China is paying less than 8% of the tariff cost, roughly the amount that Mexico is paying for the wall, I think. Something, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Uh, Americans are paying the rest. This is now, from, if you guys don't remember, we did about 100 episodes where we mentioned all of Trump's tariffs and why they're bad, okay? And um, this, is a, this is a liberty-loving podcast. So all you Trump fans, although he did some good things, he did some absolute terrible things for liberty, for, for freedom. And those have to be discussed. Mm-hmm. So, um, Tom was asking if we get if we do have the info each time someone listens on Spotify. We do get the play counts, but we don't know our follower rate no, like we yeah. do on Apple. And so, but we do get the plays. Yeah, yeah, we we do get that. Okay, so from reasons from Eric Boehm over at Reason.com, former President Donald Trump and his top trade advisor spent years arguing that tariffs applied. To imports from China were not being paid by Americans, despite what economic theories and actual realities suggested. And we just read an article yesterday where the the federal government gave farmers money mm. to make up for the trade deficit. Yeah. 
and the and the things for the tariffs. And who do you think is going to pay the taxes that are going to pay the money that, that they gave to the farmers? Uh, clearly not the people because they said that wasn't. No, definitely not. Since taking office, the Biden administration has picked up that same line of argument. U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai said during her confirmation hearing in February that she views tariffs as, quote, a legitimate tool to wield against China. Yet they all hate it on Trump. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't agree with the tariffs. I just... The hypocrisy is astounding. The obvious implication being that tariffs are applying some sort of economic pressure on China that the Biden White House could use for political purposes in much the same way as Trump sought to do. Both of them are wrong. Both Trump and Biden are wrong on this. American consumers are bearing nearly 93% of the costs of the tariffs applied to Chinese goods. According to a new report from Moody's Investor Service, just 7.6% of the added costs of the tariffs are being absorbed by China, the investment firm found. And it gets worse when China responded to Trump's tariffs by slapping new tariffs on American goods. American firms pay the significant price. That's because the U.S. exporters, like unlike China's exporters, lowered by roughly 50% the prices of the goods affected by foreign retaliatory tariffs. So they put tariffs on our companies and our companies lowered their prices so China would still buy their products. Mm -hmm. China did not lower their prices. We, we just kept buying their products, but they At didn't the lower their cost. prices. So they are actually not bearing any, any trade repercussions whatsoever because we lowered the prices of our goods to keep exporting. And they did By not. roughly 50%. Yeah, it's uh, pretty crazy. So uh, in other words, American companies ended up on the losing end of the trade war, both going and coming. Importers absorbed most of the costs of Trump's tariffs, and American businesses that export to China got hit by the retaliatory tariffs worse than Chinese exporters to the U.S. did. Prior to 2018, the average tariff on imports from China was 3.1%, but after Trump hiked tariffs on a wide range of imports covering everything from industrial goods to toys, the average tariff on imports from China is now 19.3%. Mm. It was 3.1%. It's now 19.3%. Retaliatory tariffs imposed by China hiked its duties on American-made goods from 8% to 20.7%. All right. More than three years after Trump launched his trade war and four months after President Joe Biden inherited it, the consequences of the tariffs should no longer be subject to debate. The evidence is overwhelming and one-sided. American consumers are being hammered. And that will continue. No not, matter not what. Not in the fun way either. Not the not, good way that you get hammered. Not like a drunk hammered. No. Mm -hmm. No. No. That will continue no matter what wishful thinking emerges from the politicians in charge of trade policy. Quote, if the tariffs remain in place, pressure on U.S. retailers will likely rise, leading to a greater pass-through to consumer prices, mm. meaning that you end up paying the tariffs. That's what ends up happening. As we have said throughout. With consumer prices already rising due to a combination of inflation and a possibly overheating the economy as COVID-19 pandemic fades, Biden could easily offer a bit of relief by cutting the tariffs, tariffs his predecessor imposed. Continuing the fight of losing trade war is both a choice and a mistake. Okay, mm -hmm. that that is true. Thank you, Reason, for sending out that article. We do appreciate it. Listen, y'all, I'm free trade, Okay. And I realize that that might that might result in job losses because the the argument is well in certain industries in some industries yeah but we got to be free trade because you want to have the specialization of labor when you were dealing with manufacturing products you want to be doing everything at the most efficient price possible and what the what the government needs to do is instead of imposing the tariffs instead of trying to stop us from getting things from China. They need to ask the question, why is it that things are so much cheaper that come from China? 
why is it so much easier for us to get things from them than it is for us to get things from the United States, our own country right here? And that's because we make it too hard to do business. We do things like the raising the corporate taxes, which is what Democrats want to do right now. Uh, things like the minimum wage and not even the minimum wage, things like paying workers to not work, which drives up the wage prices and also driving up the prices of all the goods by inflating uh, our currency and, and sending all this money out into the market. And then we end up being on the losing end of this. It's not even fixing anything. Like maybe you could say, well, actually, China paid most of it and, and we got a bunch of new jobs and all that. But the evidence doesn't even show that in the first place. Mm-hmm. So the argument don't even hold a boat that can float or a dog that can that can hunt, either, either one of them. Mm-mm. Okay. So what we need to do is go back to a, an actual free trade environment and ask ourselves, why is it that it is so much easier to do business in other countries? That's the actual, go to the root cause of the problem. Well, and in economics, what lifts the most people out of poverty is to have the the highest quality, most efficient, cheapest goods and services possible. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter where they come from, because these types of things really hurt poor people the most, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, you know, folks like me, especially Nate, folks like Nate, <laughs> especially Nate can, you know, can afford a hundred dollar pair of jeans. You know, that's typically uh, you don't go lower than that. I don't think, do you? I've never paid that much for a pair of jeans <laughs> in my life. Now I do go nicer could. on jeans. Right. I only get jeans, which are terrible pieces of material, that these, I, if I can't wear basketball shorts or or some kind of pants, you know, they're just real nice jogging pants, mm-hmm. then I don't want to wear them these days, especially after, you know, all this pandemic stuff going mm-hmm. on. Uh, but if I do wear jeans, I get them from Express, which and are Nate, like 50 bucks. Clay's right. Nate's about to buy a plane. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on, I was talking to my, my brother about that earlier you today. Know, folks with Nate's kind of money, you can, <laughs> you can afford the higher price in goods and services. Yeah. But... You know, a lot of Americans can't. So <laughs> so the best possible scenario for everyone, even if it does make Nate's plane cheaper, is for everything else to be cheaper for everyone else. Because then that gives you that gives you the path to climb the ladder, so to speak. It it also just it makes your economy better overall. You don't want to waste dollars going towards goods and services at too expensive of a price because that those dollars could be used towards something else. So if you can get something for cheaper somewhere else and save that money and put that money into investment somewhere else or put it towards something else, it would be better. Even if it kills a job in a certain industry, it leaves money available to create another industry mm. that we would do better here in the US maybe. And, and you're stopping those things from happening when you create the super inefficient use of the money. Like the like like uh, the internet. Yeah, yeah. You know, did you realize there were no software engineers in 1920? Uh, there weren't any. No. And now all of a sudden, there's a bunch of them. So we, I, I went back, and there were almost no job openings for software engineers back then. It's actually yeah. zero. Yeah, none of them. So a lot of people hmm. farming. Yeah. Speaking of the yeah. the specialization of labor <laughs> from yesterday. So you have to think about those types of things. Is like, okay, what else are we going to create? I mean, I think um, a little. I guess no longer conspiracy for y'all. I, I wanted to talk about this. I forgot to tell you. I'll just throw it in real quick. In case you guys are wondering, the, uh, the American government's about to release some information about UFOs. Mm. Um, and they're actually going to declassify some things. And it turns out all the wacky conspiracy people were not wrong. <laughs> and so now imagine what kind of information and, and uh, you know, industry is going to open up when we start to figure out different technologies 
and maybe we can travel by defying gravity or whatever, something like that. Who knows? As we start to learn new things, all types of industries open up, right? Yeah. Software engineers, uh, full stack developers on the internet, all these things never existed prior to those inventions. And so if you have the capital, as you said, the reserves from, from not wasting money on something you don't need to be wasting, wasting it on because someone else can do it for, for cheaper, just as high quality as you can, you can turn those dollars into something else. And that's the biggest thing. And by the way, on that little UFO thing, <laughs> I just have to ask you, Nate. Yeah. As you and I talk, we're, we try to stay away from conspiracy theories because mm -hmm. we don't want to be conspiratorial uh, cons conspiratorial theorists. <laughs> okay. You don't want to be labeled. <clears throat> right. Yeah. But I just have to ask if the United States government confirms UFOs and all the people that got made fun of for being conspiracy theorists and whack jobs and blah, 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 blah. What does that say about other conspiracy theories and make I've always said that you should question things. Mm -hmm. You should be allowed to openly question them without being labeled a tinfoil hat, whatever, you know, without being labeled. Um, I don't know, Alex Jones or whatever. Now, I don't particularly enjoy Alex Jones's show, so I don't <laughs> listen to it. I've never but listened to it before. I've listened to a few things. And I think he has, I mean, I do enjoy his conversations with Joe Rogan because I think they're hilarious. Um, but at the same time, it's like, at what point do we start to realize, which we never will, but at what point do we start to realize? <laughs> never. Yeah, that, <laughs> that maybe there is some truth in conspiracy theories. I've, and then eventually they turn out not to be false. And all those people who were made fun of are long forgotten. Nobody brings them up and apologizes. That's true. You know? I don't think that the government's going to release that they know that the UFOs came from other planets. I think that they'll release saying, yes, these are for sure UFOs. Maybe they came from China. Maybe China's got some weapons that we don't know about. They've got some aircrafts that we don't know about. Um, I don't see them releasing that they know that they're not originated on Earth or anything like know. that. But I mean, they are released a couple um, uh, videos from. They're they're saying the that they that these things do exist, but they're not saying that they're from other planets. They're just unidentified. Mm. You know that aerial phenomenon, as as they would call it. I don't know, but I don't know. We we try to not be too conspiratorial here, but we've always I always listen to what are called conspiracy theories because I think there's always some truth somewhere in there, and they could all be possible. You know, they, they could all be possible. So I, I can't write them off because I can't really disprove them. And so I, hopefully what people will realize is that they need to question things more is, yes. what, is what would happen. And I think that's that is where it should be. And people should be made fun of for questioning things. Yeah. Like was 9-11 an inside job? Probably not. <laughs> can you can I prove that it wasn't? Nope, I can't. But it just it seems like it would be a little bit a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I got to say about that. I got you, man. We'll do a UFO podcast sometime if you want to. All right. Next one up from Fee, Brad Palumbo. Thank you, sir, for writing this one for us again. <laughs> Ram Paul Thanks for warns, continuing to write show notes for yeah. the podcast. Rand Paul warns America, time to wake up to profound repercussions of Biden's spending binge. Also, Trump's spending binge, yeah, too. Can okay. we, yeah, please can attach we just, everyone in this. Can we just yeah. include... America's spending binge since uh, 2002, yeah, roughly. 
One of the few principled physical, uh, fiscal conservatives left in Washington, Senator Rand Paul, is warning Americans to wake up to the profound repercussions. I hate the wake up word. Yeah, I know. This big government. Wake up! <laughs> this big government blowout will have. In a Wednesday interview with Fox Business, Paul argued that mounting inflation levels are a serious cause for concern, not temporary, as proponents of big government insist. His warning comes after new data show inflation is at a 12-year high, with price levels increasing at minimum 4.2% over the last year. When the Federal Reserve says this inflation is uh, oh my. transitory, transitory, I think that's an excuse for government spending and borrowing, the senator said. It's sort of from the same kind of lexicon of deficits don't matter. And that's that new... MMT, mm-hmm. modern monetary Monet- theory. Yeah. Um, the the which, only the only way that makes sense is if the money's being spent in the most efficient way possible. And we talked about this a bunch of times. You know, Apple... But cares. if you still follow that to its logical conclusion, it still doesn't work. Yeah, it's still... It, the only way that it would be sustainable is if you were getting the best investment off of that money, if you were spending the money on things that were actually going to reap a bigger return than the amount of money that you spent on it. Like Apple carries debt, even though they have tons of cash in reserves, they carry debt. And when they take out the debt, they spend the money on things that ends up having a way bigger return than the amount of debt that they took out. So in the MMT theory, the only way I see it being plausible or sustainable... But the only reason Apple's taking on debt, though, is because it's so cheap. Yeah, and, and they'd rather keep the reserves. You know, that's yeah. that's better for them. I'm just saying it makes sense for a business to take out debt if you're going to turn that money into way more money. But the government doesn't take out money and turn it into way more money. They take out money and turn it into way less money. We've seen that because we need money right now. We're $28 trillion in debt. We've taxed over $100 trillion from people over the last hundred years, and so far we're in the negative, 20, $28 trillion right now, and about to be a whole lot more. So they're not good at taking money and investing it and turning it into more money. That's, that's not what they mm-hmm. do. They'd have to be able to do that to make MMT work out. He says our spending levels aren't sustainable. We've added 4 or $5 trillion worth of debt last year. Paul added, we're probably going to do the same again this year. That's insane. It's more than just bu- uh, bad budgeting, the senator warned. What you've caused is a massive misallocation of resources, a massive infusion of cash into the stock market. There is going to be a time when people wake up and say the emperor has no clothes, Paul said. He always has those little quirky yeah, sayings. Yeah. Uh, and at that moment in time, you will discover that there's a lot of capital that's gone in the wrong direction, that demand is exceeding supply because we've disrupted the normal marketplace. Rand's point about misdirected capital is a reference to the Austrian business cycle theory, which explains how the creation of new money, generally by central banks like the Fed and all around the world, by the way, (laughs) not just us, causes distortions in the economy that must eventually be ironed out by a corrective crash. I don't think it's it's as benign as people say it's going to be, Senator Paul said. I think the spending uh, blowout is going to have a profound repercussions and that we're just getting started. What probably not wrong. The reason I like this, you know, just to send, listen, we say this all the time. Rand Paul's not perfect. He did. He's done some things I don't like, but man, to have a vote last year for the bill, to have a Senator out there, uh, actually talking about Austrian business cycle theory and the misallocation of resources that have alternative uses. 
even though he's a even though he's a Republican, even though he's a Republican, <laughs> man, can we please just have a little just a, a little bit of gratitude for the fact that there's someone out there throwing out Austrian business cycle theory when he's talking about the federal spending? Mm-hmm. Okay, there's only a couple people that are going to do that, and we have to we have to pay attention to it, and I think we have to give them a little bit of credit where credit is due. He's he's totally right about this. They take the money. This these see these two articles went together. They take the money. And then they spend it on the wrong things. And so they end up causing these market distortions and things. They inflate all of these prices. They create these bubbles. And what he's saying is eventually you'll have a a corrective bubble sometime. Mm -hmm. And now I don't know if it's going to, maybe it'll crash back down to the price right now. Because for all we know, the market's going to inflate another 100% before we have a massive market crash. And it comes back down to where it's at right now. You know, people are always trying to figure out when the market crash is going to be. And... If you look at it, you really don't need to worry about when the market crash is going to be. What you need to worry about is making sure you have enough capital to buy when the market crash happens, because mm-hmm. that's when you're going to make a lot of money. And so what well, it's what, like this guy I was watching who was talking about Bitcoin and he even was talking about Amazon. He's like, look, twice in Amazon's history, it lost over 90 percent of value. It had a crash 90 percent twice. Yeah. And he's like, when was the right time to sell Amazon? So the answer is never. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> if you sold it at any time, you would have missed out on massive gains. Yep. He was talking about the same thing with Bitcoin, by the way. If, it's like if you look at every single indicator of Bitcoin, number of users, the, the whatever, all the different price points, um, he's like, it doesn't matter what the price action is the intraday or, or even daily. What matters is, is the users are going up. Everything about Bitcoin is going up. Um, not only just the price. But all of that indicates that Bitcoin just keeps making higher lows. Yeah. And so who cares what the price is today or tomorrow or whatever? When's the right time to get out of Bitcoin? He said, I'm not saying, he said, never. They, they do these things like a good example right now is in this new budget that they're working on is putting hundreds of billions of dollars into the EV market. We don't need them to put hundreds of billions of dollars into the EV market. I don't know if you know this, but up until their stock crashed a bit, you know, Elon Musk was the richest person in the world. He owns the EV company. You know, there's a lot of big EV companies out there and private investors are putting their money into those companies. They're some of the fastest growing stocks in the stock market. We don't need the government to take $300 billion away from the people and then put it into the EV market. Private investors already doing this. Yeah, I mean, and that just creates this big distortion in the market. It's like subsidizing oil and stuff like that. Like, who knows? Maybe the EV thing would have happened sooner if we wouldn't have been subsidizing the oil companies and keeping oil prices further down than what they actually were in the market. Mm -hmm. And so now we end up subsidizing the EV companies, and you're going to end up creating the same market distortions and eventually causing some kind of crash because their stocks are going to run up like crazy. When all this money actually starts being spent, they're going to inflate 100%, and then they're just going to crash back down eventually and come back to their real market value eventually. This reminds me of the uh, Jordan Peterson ruler theory that he's got. The snap. When he yeah. says, if you tell a lie, you just, that ruler gets, you know, back, 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 and all of a sudden it's going to snap. Mm-hmm. It's going to snap back and smack you in the face. Marcus did the same thing. If you're, if the valuation is a lie, essentially, and it's overvalued. Now, I'm not saying you can't make money when it's overvalued, because you can. You can ride the wave up to the top. But if, if that happens, then all of a sudden, snap! Snap! Right back down to where it belongs. Put that bitch in its place. <laughs> all right. 
from I was talking about stock. Yeah. Not any person. Yeah. Okay. Get off my back about it. So from uh, we haven't talked about this before, uh, but the FDA has been considering a ban on menthol tobacco products. Mm. Whole a whole ban on menthol flavored tobacco products, and that's because that's literally because um, they're more likely to be sold to to black people. That's why, and so of they course. need to ban the products. Yeah. But it's in an effort to save people. That's, that's why they're doing it, because mm. they have to show how much they really want to save people. And this is insane. I, we hadn't really talked about it, and I saw this article from the Huffington Post today. It was ridiculous. It says, Big Tobacco hooked black Americans on menthols. They did it. Big Tobacco did it. Mm. They, you know, no one makes their own choices, especially if you're black. You don't make your own choices. No, you're manipulated. You're always manipulated. You're always controlled. No one makes their own choices. Now it fights a ban as now it fights ban as race, racial justice. Okay, so now Big Tobacco is arguing that the ban is actually racist, which kind of is. It sounds like to me it's racist in a lot of ways, which we'll we'll talk about here in a sec. And Joe, like Joe said. Next up, fried chicken. <laughs> and, and you said that I didn't say that, Joe. Well, I'm just saying what he's saying on the on the thing. What, but but what I'm meaning is like it's like KFC fighting. Yeah, you know <laughs> the 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 ban on their fried chicken for making people fat. Yeah, you know they're trying to outlaw it. Fried chicken made people fat, and then KFC is like, well, that's just racial injustice. Yeah. Which it, it, it really is, because what you'll see is that the numbers of the amount of the population who smokes between white and black people are essentially the same, okay? So we're attacking one thing. We're attacking a product that black people are more likely to use and say that we have to ban this product. Mm -hmm. So I, I agree with them. Now, obviously, they're doing this for selfish reasons because they want to sell the menthol they, cigarettes. They want to make their money okay? still. But they're not wrong when it comes to this. So the Huffington Post says... The tobacco industry has a long, well-documented history of targeting black Americans with menthol cigarette advertisements, and the result is that nearly 85% of black smokers use tobacco with minty flavor additive. Now, that says nothing about whether or not they forced people to smoke those cigarettes, whether or not they got people hooked on them, whether or not any of this is racist whatsoever, but you have to be led to believe that this is racist because they did advertising specifically targeted towards black people for menthol cigarettes. Guys, I got to tell you, that's what all companies do all the time. They figure out what their target audience is, and then they try to sell products to whatever that target audience is. In fact, you can select them on Facebook. You can. <laughs> you literally can. Yeah. Okay, this is what all companies do. And Notice they're not talking about the other kinds of cigarettes that were clearly targeted towards white people. Or anything like that. Well, you think a cowboys. Yes, it's going to say you think a, <laughs> you think a guy like a as a cowboy out there in the West is not targeting towards anyone mm -hmm. of, of any specific stature whatsoever. Yes, it still is. That's what they're doing. They call okay? Marlboro Reds cowboy killers. Following, <laughs> <laughs> they do. Do they really? Yeah. Following years of delay, the FDA last month proposed a nationwide ban on the sale and production of menthol cigarettes. As the effort to get menthol smokes off the market gained momentum in recent years, the industry sidled? Siddled? I, I don't even know what that is. That's, That's not going to be saddled up because we were thinking about the cowboys, but uh, to black-led or black organizations and black lawmakers. And new documents shared with the Huffington Post offer behind-the-scenes look at how one tobacco giant is pitching itself as an ally in the fight for racial justice. 
The FDA's proposed ban, which was announced last month, isn't intended to target or arrest smokers, by the way, because a lot of people are going to make this argument, and this is what's going to happen, but the FDA has came out and said that they're not going to make it illegal to smoke menthol cigarettes. Okay, so this isn't targeted towards smokers, it's targeted towards the company. But the problem is, it's still illegal to sell tobacco products on the black market. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I don't just mean a market for black people, I mean that it's, a, it's illegal to sell illicit illicit tobacco products okay so you don't have to make a new one saying it's illegal to smoke the menthol all you got to do is ban the companies from selling them and then go towards the people that are still selling them on the black market you this know? happened to uh eric garner eric garner yeah in new yeah, york in That's, new york for selling so, loose cigarettes uh what they said on the fda's website by the way banning menthol the last allowable flavor in cigarettes and banning all flavors in cigars banning all flavors in cigars will help save lives, particularly among those disproportionately affected by these deadly products. Like they just got thrown on people. No one makes their own decisions yeah. anymore. No, yeah. no one does. Okay, it's, it's impossible. And unfortunately for people in the government, it's impossible to make your own decisions, especially if you're black. If you do something, it has to be because some kind of racism occurred. That's, that's what it is, because you don't have your own agency really whatsoever. With these actions, the FDA will help significantly reduce youth, youth initiation, increase the chances of smoking cessation among current smokers, and address health disparities experienced by communities of color, low-income populations, and LGBTQ plus individuals. Oh, my. <laughs> all right, check all the boxes. Did you guys check all your boxes yeah. as we were going through this? All of whom are far more likely to use these tobacco products. All right, so all those people are far more likely to smoke menthol cigarettes, okay? So I, I was looking for some info on this, and I found a, a top 10 thing, reasons that this shouldn't happen from reason. I didn't include all of them because a couple of them are redundant, but... I, well, I was going to say what's also, you know, interesting is I guess they're using, you know, documented history for their findings because clearly... The, uh, the alcohol prohibition worked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It worked well. Everyone stopped. Everyone stopped. Yeah. You know, they, they, they weren't using, you know, regular alcohol made from corn or anything. Now, I mean, they drank wood alcohol, you know, <laughs> yeah. but they stopped using the corn alcohol. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, mm -hmm. they weren't, uh, unless you knew a guy mm -hmm. or gal, you know. So clearly, this, this bans work, folks. Bans have always worked. Making I things illegal just works well until until states started legalizing it you couldn't find weed anywhere you just couldn't find it mm -mm. you didn't know a single guy that sold weed or that knew a guy who sold weed no there's no way you could ever especially find especially flavored it. Weed. it was banned yeah, yeah. flavor forget about it man that's <laughs> yeah. rich people weed right there you can't <laughs> find that stuff so yeah bands have a long history of working when the federal government does this mm -hmm. uh, number one reason blue, why this is a bad idea blueberry yum yum the majority of youth smokers don't use menthol cigarettes. Now, the statistics don't matter. What matters is that you check off all the boxes, saying that you're going to help people that are low income, mm -hmm. communities of color, LGBTQ+. The youth, plus. the yeah, kids. The, the use of America. Proponents of the ban say reducing youth smoking rates is one of the key reasons for banning menthol cigarettes. The supporters of prohibition claim the cooling sensation of menthol helps mask the harsh taste of tobacco. I got to tell you, I've tried the menthol cigarette before. Terrible. They're just as me. bad. Just they're Awful. just as bad. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I, obviously people think that this is true, but I don't agree mm -mm. What's, whatsoever. The supporter, the supporters say that they, uh, they mask the harsh taste of tobacco 
which they say makes it easier for kids to start smoking. But the data doesn't back this claim up. According to an analysis by the CDC, the popularity of menthol cigarettes among young people has declined substantially. And they had a bunch of statistics on this, which we don't have to read, but after going through them, I would concur uh, that, that that is a based argument right there, that it has declined mm -hmm. substantially. No cap. Yeah. Number two, black youth, lower, black youth have lower rates of cigarette smoking than other groups. It is true that black smokers use menthol products at significantly higher rates than white smokers do, but this is often misconstrued and interpreted to mean that the black youth smoking rate is higher than other ethnic groups. This assumption is incorrect. According to CDC's data for 2020, the rate of smoking among black non-Hispanic high school students was 2.8% compared to 5.3% of white non-Hispanic smoking and 4.6% of Hispanic high school students smoking. The preferred cigarette products of other groups with higher rates of smoking aren't being targeted. Reducing youth smoking among all pop populations is a good goal, but given that youth smoking rates are lower among black youth, who are more likely to use menthol cigarettes, it's unclear why the prohibition targets menthol as opposed to non-menthol cigarettes preferred by other groups with higher youth smoking rates. Yeah. So if your actual goal is to reduce youth smoking, you're going after the least commonly. You're going after the one that the, that the black kids are smoking, but not the ones that the white kids are smoking. Mm -hmm. And twice as many white kids are smoking. It's... They're not doing this based on data what, no. whatsoever. Do you want to do a couple here? They should ban all of them. Yeah. That's what it should be. Number three, black adults smoke at a similar rate to white adults, but the preferred products of white smokers aren't targeted by the ban. We kind of went over this in the last one. The latest CDC data shows that for the year 2019, smoking among white adults was statistically indistinguishable from that of black adults, with 15.5% and 14.9% respectively smoking. Given the lack of substantial disparities in smoking rates, advocates for menthol bans have not been able to explain why the preferred product for black adult smokers will be subject to prohibition while the preferred products of most white smokers will remain legal and available. This is like when keeping it, I would say when keeping it woke goes wrong. Uh, I don't know if this is woke or not, but they're, they're trying so hard to come off as people who are trying to be there for the communities of color that they're they're really stepping in it here mm. and they're actually being they're actually showing a little bit of racial bias in both directions honestly and then this is a huge one right here number five which is one thing we talked about a guaranteed way of reducing police violence is reducing police interactions mm -hmm. well number five menthol prohibition will create illicit markets and more police interactions especially in minority communities now could you imagine a Joe Biden and Kamala Harris administration, you know, passing more laws that affect minorities? That's, mm. I, I've never heard them of ever doing it? anything like that. The U.S. illicit tobacco market is already between 8.5% and 21% of total sales and represents between almost 3 to $7 billion. The mm. illicit tobacco market, 3 yeah. to $7 billion. The black market of cigarettes already. <laughs> Y'all get your cigarettes now for the apocalypse. Lord have mercies. You could trade those things for a car, probably. And local, uh, state and local tax revenues. The FTC estimates that menthol cigarettes account for around one-third of all cigarette sales. With a customer base numbering in the millions in a highly profitable product, there's little doubt criminal networks will seek to capitalize on prohibition. Because menthol is disproportionately the choice of black smokers, this illicit market will be concentrated in black neighborhoods. And that means police enforcement of the ban will also disproportionately be focused in those neighborhoods. Congratulations. Yeah, great job. Uh, great. I put a note in here. Today is the one-year anniversary of uh, George Floyd, by the way. And what I see is that they have no idea 
why there are any kind of disproportionate figures or bad figures uh, between people getting killed by the police. Now, this doesn't apply to George Floyd, really. Uh, but in other instances, there's too many, too many interactions with police. They're not getting down to the root cause of the problem. Mm-hmm. You're never going to make perfect police officers. It's not going to happen. They're human beings. They're going to mess up. They're going to do things wrong. Some of them are going to be hateful people, power-hungry people. Not most of them, I don't think. Uh, but if you have more interactions, more bad things are going to happen. And they it's don't like have to learn that. It's just like banning the, you know, the, the jewel products and stuff like that. It, like, because the people who were actually dying from the popcorn lung and things like that were people who were making their own oil and things they they were re, they were they were changing the cartridges and making their own oil uh, because they wanted flavors and stuff it's funny you're acting out the the gifts yeah and stuff. i was like <laughs> <laughs> all right menthol bands number six menthol bands have a poor record of actually reducing smoking in may 2020 the european union banned the manufacture and sale of menthol cigarettes and the results so far are not encouraging According to a post-ban survey published by the Foundation for a Smoke-Free World, just 8% of menthol smokers said they had quit. Massachusetts is the only U.S. state to have implemented a ban on all flavored tobacco products, which went into effect in June 2020. From June to November of 2020, Massachusetts cigarette excise tax stamp uh, sales fell 24%. Unfortunately, sales in nearby Rhode Island and New Hampshire rose 18 and 29.7%. That's why I kept that in there. It's a boring paragraph, but it's important. Compared to the same period in 2019. Yeah. They just went across the border. You just go somewhere else and go. Yeah. Like when we lived in Illinois, we just went to the river if we wanted to gamble. Yeah. Everyone goes to either Missouri or Kentucky. I mean, my my uh, my family smokes, and they go to either they go to Missouri and buy cigarettes because they're more expensive in, in Illinois. Way more expensive. Way more expensive. I mean, yeah. people will do this. Mm-hmm. Total cigarette sales in Rhode Island rose twenty percent, and menthol cigarette sales climbed by thirty <laughs> percent. That's because they're going over there and buying them, bringing them back, and selling them. Uh, cigarette sales, uh, let's see, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, cigarette sales are up overall since the prohibition came into effect. Cigarette they're sales probably, are up. They're probably buying them, too, to stockpile them. <laughs> number, uh, number. So, to combine, since the prohibition in Massachusetts, including Rhode Island and New Hampshire, the overall cigarette sales are up since the prohibition happened in Massachusetts. Where's the evidence that people use to back up these crazy ideas? No idea. There's no evidence. It's insane. Um, let's see. I can can pick up here. Some of these, you know, they're just, we're going to scoot through a few real quick here. Menthol cigarettes are no more dangerous than non-menthol cigarettes. So True. there's another thing right there. They're the same. Mm-hmm. They, got, they got the same stuff in them. There's just a little bit of flavor in there. Uh, menthol cigarettes are not more addictive than non-menthol cigarettes. The only argument would be uh, that because they're flavored, you would be more likely to smoke them, but what they actually found is that people who smoke menthol cigarettes smoke less cigarettes per day. And that actually there's a lower rate of cancer in people who smoke menthol cigarettes than people who smoke regular cigarettes. You can't because handle they that burn. Because it's the flavor, I'm telling you, so terrible that you smoke less cigarettes mm-hmm. per day. Man, I'm telling you what. All right, last two. Menthol bans are unnecessary thanks to safer nicotine alternatives like e-cigarettes. That's the other thing. People are just moving over to the e-cigs anyway. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, which is very important, Adults should be free to choose which cigarettes they smoke. Whatever you want to smoke. Yeah. That's, Look, smoke's, that's it. smoking's bad. Juuling's yeah. bad. Inhaling things that are not meant to be in your lungs is bad, okay? All right? Worse than, it's just, it's worse than air. Yeah. You know? An yeah. e-cig is better than a cigarette, worse than air. Yeah, those things are bad, but you should be able to make 
your own decisions. Yeah. You know, choose what makes you happy. And that the, the big problem, what Joe just said, this is the, the, the disgusting part about this <laughs> argument, this whole situation is that is this nanny state thing that happens in this removal of any agency, any ability to make your own life decisions that is constantly thrown on people of color by the government. That's really what this is right here. Mm. It's a refusal that you could possibly make your own life decisions and that you could end up learning what the possible consequences would be, that your children could learn what consequences could be, and that you as a, as a group, as a society, could end up getting better over time because you learn from those things. It's that you can't make these decisions. You're too stupid to do it, is what the government is saying. Mm-hmm. The, what the white people smoke, by the way, twice as many white kids smoke as black kids, more white people as a percentage basis smoke than black people, but we're going to ban the cigarettes that mainly black people smoke because they're too dumb to make their own decisions. That's what they're saying. That's why this bothers me. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting. It is. Ugh. It's abhorrent. Yeah, it's abhorrent. Could you skip the next article and go on to the Chicago restaurants one? Yes, I sure can. <clears throat> uh, this is coming from a local CBS Chicago. Uh, some Chicago restaurants to create vaccinated only sections allowed under new city COVID-19 guidance. Smoker section. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. Would you like uh, would, <laughs> would you like to sit in the vaccinated or unvaccinated section? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, That's what's, good. What's the difference? <laughs> Chicago restaurant owners hoping to ease concerns for those who may be apprehensive about dining out have a solution. A vaccinated only section. And since, you know, black people can't get vaccines as easily as white people can. Well, clearly this is racist. Yeah. Although the city is still, um, it's still in the, in the bridge. A little typo. Phase, there. A little typo. It, it's still int he in the bridge phase of its reopening. I think plan. they meant int he. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Int he. yeah. Uh, city guidance allows businesses to operate with no restrictions as long as only vaccinated people are allowed in that area. Those will be in place at Moe's Cantina this weekend, where a neon bracelet will be the key to a seat in the unrestricted vaccinated section of the restaurant. The unvaccinated section will continue to have distance tables and partitions. Quote, we've decided to divide and you're free to come on this side. Go to the bar. You can be pre-pandemic, said owner Sam Sanchez. I want to sit in the pre-pandemic section. <laughs> he said customers will have to show proof of their full vaccination to get a pink bracelet to relax in a seat or stool in the area with no restrictions. Just back to normal, he said. <laughs> back to normal. Hell. As if you can't buy a, pre- a pink bracelet and just walk in there. Would you like the pre-pandemic or post-pandemic seating? <laughs> now, Charlie, if you will for me. Imagine, I, I tweeted this out, imagine a, vac- a vaccine that was so good that you would still be scared to be around the virus yeah. that you were vaccinated against. In a world. This is, what the annoying part about this is that this, these are the anti-vax people. These are the actual anti-vaccine people mm-hmm. because they're saying even though you're vaccinated, still shouldn't be around that virus. It's too dangerous. Right. Too dangerous to be around that virus, even though you're vaccinated. Where's the where's the science? I thought I thought Lori Lightfoot said that uh, science is back, baby. You know, <laughs> now what she said. Where's the science on this? You're yeah. vaccinated. Someone, I'm still waiting for someone to tell me why on this. Why people who are vaccinated 
are worried about being around people who are not vaccinated. What's the point in the vaccine if it doesn't protect you against the virus? I have no idea. I can't answer that one either. I don't understand. Yeah. At all. The only argument I've heard about like, like saying vaccines are required for like school, for instance, or something like that is because that there are people who can't get vaccinated. Yeah, then those are evil unvaccinated people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I'm saying there are kids that need to go to school mm -hmm. that can't get vaccinated. So they need as much protection around them as possible. So everyone else that can be vaccinated needs to be vaccinated. We've shown that. I'm not saying that's right. Yeah. I'm just saying that's the only good argument I've heard. Yeah. That one's tougher to crack. I, I, what I would say, what I, what I read in the article earlier was that, you know, there's people who are immunocompromised and thing, things like that. And the thing is, like, those people are always going around immunocompromised, you know? They've always got, a, got an issue. In this case, COVID-19, if, if you have no immune system, might not be any more dangerous than the flu. Honestly, if you don't have any immune system and you can't get vaccinated for some reason, they say the vaccine doesn't work as well on people who are immunocompromised. That's why that's probably because the vaccine is in addition to your immune system and your immune system is going to, you know, also create the antibody mm -hmm. stuff like that. So it doesn't work. It's not going to work as well. But those people are always at risk. You know, mm -hmm. there's there's always going to be a risk. So no, this we, is back to normal. Just back to normal. Back to normal. I'm just, they are, these are the most anti-vaccine. The left has been fighting against the vaccine the whole time. Mm -hmm. The whole time they've been fighting against them. I don't get it. Where's the incentive? Where is the incentive that the vaccine is actually good and is going to put us back to normal well, life? Now you, now you get your own section at the restaurant with a pink bracelet. That's true. That's a pretty good incentive. First class seating right there. The best incentive is that million dollar award from, what was that, Ohio? Yeah, that was, that was smart. They said that they saw the highest uptick in vaccinations. I bet they had. did. Yeah. I bet they did. I bet. I mean, I would probably do it. Honestly, I try to remind myself statistically, you've got no chance of winning it. But I'm like, but if you, if you don't get vaccinated, you, know, you can never win. Yeah. Yeah. You know, You're, you know technically, some people are going to win, I guess. They're going to get that million dollars, but I don't know. The chances of winning the million is higher than winning the multi-million dollar lottery ticket for yeah. a dollar. Yeah. But. I mean, I, I play the lottery when it gets way up there because what if? Yeah, that's why everyone else loses money on the lottery too. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not going to play for a measly hundred million. <laughs> you know, <laughs> nobody wants that. Yeah. I'm looking for that almost a billion. <laughs> that would be something. It's always fun to think what you would do with that. Yeah. What <laughs> if? I would do what I'm doing right now, actually. I, Creed I would trade a, stocks and do a podcast. Creed had a song about that. <laughs> What if <laughs> that was about winning the lottery? Yeah, that's, that's what it was. That's what it was. What if? What if? Yeah. All right, man. Play us out. What if I? <laughs> All right, y'all. I know you enjoyed today's show, especially the ending with Creed. I always tell Nate, you know, if you mess up, I'm gonna bait your ass till Creed's popular again. He says, "All right." <laughs> so, if you enjoyed today's show, then you should hit that subscribe button. You should also share it with a friend, a foe, and the children. And uh, just like menthol cigarettes. <laughs> You, smoke and pass is what I always say. Puff, puff, pass <laughs> with the children. <laughs> puff, puff podcast is yeah, what you got to tell your yeah. kids. Puff, puff the magic podcast. Send it on over to the kids. So share the show. Leave us that rating and review on Apple Podcast if you are able to, because that helps those pesky algorithms, you know, with the charting and all that. iTunes has this chart still. 
and we got to get up on the rankings so more people find the show. And join Patreon if you want to, patreon.com slash Liberty. That's all I'm going to say about that because Clay is watching live, and I can't do any more <laughs> than that, or I'm going to get... I'm going to get the nasty meme, mm -hmm. the nasty gif. Mm -hmm. And so I, can't, I won't say any more than that, which is not an ad. Okay. And so if you do all of those things, and I mean all of it, then we'll be back again tomorrow. Hope you guys have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. Liberty.